Hi, I'm Rajoshi Dash and you're listening to Queerness and Storytelling in India. Today I have with me Rituparna Bora, who is a co-founder and co-director at Nazaria, a queer feminist resource group based in Delhi. Currently a fellow of Outright Action International for Beijing 25 plus on LGBT rights, Rituparna is a queer feminist activist, trainer, researcher, peer counselor and curricular developer with over 15 years of experience in the field. Welcome Rituparna and thank you so much for taking out uh, time for this podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. I am um I'm really excited to talk about issues and me with you. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember the first time I saw you but I know that uh, we have run into one another like a number of times because I was in Delhi for about 5 uh, years I think uh, like several events uh, some of yes. these were public events yes, yes yes meetings like fiery meetings I think yes. I was part of only a couple of them I was not very regular in the pride meetings but I know that you were like you know more uh, committed and more invested uh, and i and i saw you also do a lot of work with colleges like you know student groups mm-hmm. um, and that's my first question like how inclusive do you think given your work in delhi how inclusive do you think are these spaces and we can have a wide understanding of what what inclusivity mean mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. you and as an indigenous person with disability who's living with disability uh, what what do you think can be queer affirmative spaces in delhi or are there mm. already some mm-hmm. you know that's an interesting question because for the last few years i have stopped attending pride um i have stopped attending protest it my last protest was i think the canrc protest and and pride to i have stopped attending because i have started feeling alienated from various um events groups people um i found these spaces to be very um very exclusive and very um there was a lot of groupism and as an indigenous person with with disability i am see i am unable to walk for a very long time it pains but i don't look disabled right this is this whole thing of looking disabled so someone who is so healthy fat and you know like tall and huge and someone who is not refusing to go for things and cannot climbs like like the meetings used to happen at that india coffee house yeah, yeah. remember that in yeah. india coffee house sometimes the lifts did not work mm-hmm. lifts sometimes work and lifts some did not work sometimes and it was difficult for me to climb at many at various points the the top floor of the india coffee house plus i found people to be quite abusive i think my last interaction with right was when i was groped by a gay man in a pre pride pre pride ha huh, fundraiser party fundraiser fundraiser party and when i wrote about how lgbt people are excluded from this gay parties i was told i was called out by by two three people for being exclusive and when i when i insisted on having an lgbt party um 
exclusively for lbt people i was i was told that i was bringing in um you know like friction in the beautiful community and i i was abused also ver- verbally and at, at that point of time i did not see many people taking a position in support of me and i think at that point of time i felt why am i invested so much um i think that was the time i was involved in pride and after that i stopped going for prides every year i used to try and uh, go out of the city when pride happened so that i'm not um i didn't feel like going secondly about spaces um see when i entered the movement um be it the feminist movement or the queer movement i was it was difficult for me as a person who is not fluent in english or who is not fluent in um, i have an accent and um and and also i didn't i didn't have anyone um in my family who was part of this movement so i am a second generation learner right so so it was difficult for me to enter these spaces even today i i have entered these spaces only as an activist but not as a close friend i have very few close friends and i have i hardly go for any parties and i feel like these in house parties which happen at people's home this is where the real friendship or the real intimacies are shown i am only an activist activist who is only supporting people during crisis i am no or during this thing i am i i don't have many places to go to parties or to um in the political spaces in the progressive political groups in the in the a political or you know like people who do not talk politics i am invited and i enjoy those spaces also because at least i am invited to someone's home for parties mm-hmm. um people might make fun of it that why do you go for such parties where there are no discussion of politics but i think it is it is very refreshing for me to go in these parties because i find these parties more inclusive these spaces more inclusive than the progressive circles um who who say they are inclusive but they are so exclusive that sometimes you find it difficult to even enter i don't know what has been your experience but for me no i mm-hmm. i prefer to stay as an activist in this progressive circles mm-hmm. so so no the in my life there has been so much exclusion um that and i've also heard people say things like oh you stay so far from the city i did not have that money to uh, afford this place within the city right i i struggled my in my entire life no one knew that i had to do tuitions to support myself financially um but i struggled my entire life and i could only afford a place outside of the like the south delhi like city city place and i then people would say we don't feel like coming to your home it's so far away but but yeah that's there are different ways in which i have felt excluded so so yeah so no the places in delhi especially are very very exclude exclusive mm-hmm. 
So like uh, Rituparna, when you said that uh, you kind of entered into the feminist activist space at a certain moment, well, like, was there a specific moment? Like I'm trying to, because I don't know uh, why you came to Delhi from Assam. So how did that happen? Like, mm. was it education? Was it job? Like employment? What was it? Education. Okay. So um, I was I was good at studies and I as someone from a very small village in a district called North Lakhimpur, which is the Upper Assam, which is mm-hmm. in Upper Assam, bordering Arunachal, I never thought I would be in Delhi. <laughs> My first hope was to get out of home. See, I was... Um, I was sexually abused at home when I was a child. So my 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 thing was I have to get out of that place. I have to leave that place. And when I got admission in Guwahati for my 11 and 12, that's where the dreams of coming to Delhi um, happened in Guwahati when I was studying in Cotton College in 11 and 12. Um, then for my graduation... Um, in 1999, um, some of us decided to apply in Delhi. At that point of time, there were no, there was no like internet admission neither. There was like you just come to Delhi, and and I'm I'm from a state board, so results had to come really late. But my father took a chance, and we came to Delhi, and um, that's how I entered Delhi spaces, but. I think I was quite drawn to fem- feminism since from the beginning. So I'm a political science graduate and we had a paper uh, where in political theory, our professors taught us feminism and I was quite drawn to it. And then I started, lead, I started going to this takeover the nights, um, all these that happened in the yeah. long back, yeah, take over the nights and things like that. And I started volunteering in different places. And and that's when I entered the women's movement through my studies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you asked me earlier what was like my experience. And actually, people haven't really asked me that. But I think initially, at least, this was pretty smooth because I think I sort of entered some of these queer spaces through academia uh although yeah i mean there was of course like bullying in school and everything so there was an understanding of what it means to be different but like consciously like stepping into those uh activist spaces i think that was pretty much you know daily uh, but yeah i think groupism is a problem maybe not exclusive to the queer spaces but i could definitely sense it like who talks to whom and who does not, or who, do, like you said, who, do, who doesn't get invited at a certain uh, party or where is the party happening? Is it accessible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all? Um, and even like, like the meetings that you mentioned, which used to happen in this coffee house, um, that's another maybe a sort of a book that, you know, you or somebody else can write about these spaces and who decides the geography of these uh, activist uh, spaces. So like, and I know this in the later years, like my last pride in Delhi was 2018, uh, 
mm-hmm. because I, I wasn't there after that. I moved here to Iowa City to do my PhD. Uh, but I was active in 2018 when um, I think I was also part of the, vol- uh, the organization group. And I remember like there were some very uh, transphobic comments which were directed to me at the pre-Pride, uh, the fundraiser party. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I think it's very common. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, was, not, I was not part of the, the group, the Google group. I think I left the group. I was there maybe for six months or something, and then I left the group. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been a very important learning uh, experience, and yeah, I just wish like they were more, uh, you know, inclusive and affirmative spaces. I think the only difference I saw was that uh, people had these uh, rickshaws in Pride in yes, some of the yes. later Prides, so that mm-hmm. was maybe slight. You know, it's uh, kind of an improvement uh, taken into consideration, not just people who are non-abled physically, but also people who are old or who have some, who cannot walk for a long period of time. And that's something, and I, I don't know, I'm actually, this is a question maybe that you can uh, engage with. Do you think that the idea of walking itself is very privileged? <laughs> walking in a certain uh, area is definitely mm-hmm. privileged. And See, Central Park has a history, right? The Palika Park also has a history. So right. walking through those Palika Park, uh, like next to the Palika Park where a lot of uh, working class trans women or uh, gay men used to cruise is something like taking over spaces. But where do you take these spaces? The spaces is very centrally located, but that central might not be central for many people, right? It might be some central for someone staying in some parts of Delhi and not some parts of Delhi. Delhi is huge. Um, for me to go to um, central Delhi takes one and one one and a half hours by car or one hour when there is no traffic. So it's it's far, it's not so accessible. Oh, but, but, but I like the idea that we, we used to take over those spaces, the spaces which were very, very uh, supposedly both upper class and also not upper class. Uh, CP is not only upper class. So many people used to come to mm-hmm. that Barakhamba road and things like that. And there was a discussion once about having the pride in old Delhi. And so many of us resisted saying that um, the locals will be called conservative for not supporting us. And in old Delhi, you see the kind of uh, stigma that people have against old Delhi. And we said, let's not put the onus on old Delhi to support us. Let's put Mm -hmm. the onus on central Delhi to support us. So, in a way, it was uh, it was exclusive also, but it was also a strategic plan to have it in central Delhi. So it was it is both. It is so there is no yes and def- definitive mm-hmm. yes and no answer to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the rickshaws were really helpful. I think for mm-hmm. many people, I didn't use the rickshaw because there is always a guilt in me. And I was talking to a disability rights activist recently that. The guilt is so high that um, of 
finally and also finally acknowledging my disability took me years so and there is also guilt of uh, and i don't and and normally i didn't take a lot of spaces as an indigenous woman or as a disabled person because i didn't want to hog a lot of space in those areas so i didn't use the rickshaws but i saw people use those rickshaws and they were useful i'm trying to understand where is this guilt coming from is it like do you see yourself as more privileged now because you have like people know you in delhi and you speak english so is it coming from a sense of having uh, acquired certain kind of class see this guilt is also made i have been told so many times that i am privileged you know people from the northeast even my close friends even told me oh you are delhiite now um not understanding the fact that it has been a struggle to enter the space like struggle um not been heard in meetings or not been taken seriously not been understood uh, not been invited to this intimate parties i always felt excluded so now that i i decided to start the organization with some other queer feminist activist uh it was a conscious decision right it was a very conscious decision to decision that i will be in a privileged position but i was told by someone a very famous trans queer activist that oh now you have started an ngo uh who 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 themselves earn i think a lot you must be earning in lakhs and to be honest i don't know if you know that to start an organization i was earning 8000 per month in the beginning after living a full full um full time job and i used all my savings my pfs and my gratuity to to sustain myself there were days when i used to just eat rice and mashed potatoes or like aloo chokha <laughs> every day because it was difficult for me to sustain myself and earlier my parents didn't support me it's only now that my father has started supporting me to little bit with financial help so i have been made to feel that since since i am a director in an organization or i have started an organization i will definitely be privileged not understanding the fact that even an indigenous person can start an organization and without having the privilege to start it um and i i have i i want to be upwardly mobile you know like mobile also like you know i want to go up because i realize that only when you have certain class you will be regarded as someone this is very very true um but despite that even in my workplaces i have always felt excluded despite the privilege so i i'm always reminded of the privilege i acknowledge i can speak english i have had a certain level of education but the trauma of being in a marginalized community or coming from a marginalized community being a second generation learner when my friends or my partner basically talks about how her nana was someone her par nana was someone and my dada was <laughs> illiterate could not even 
write or read. It was my first, but my father's generation who started studying. So I couldn't talk about my family at all, my biological family at all. Who are they? No, no one. One is a driver. One is a peon. One is something. So unlike other people sharing about privileges, I could not share about anyone, but I'm still made to feel that I have so much privilege that other people do not. So I think that's where the guilt is coming from. And I stopped talking about myself now. It's only recently when I started, people started seeing that people are attacking me so much for, for, for the place that I have earned with a lot of struggle, with a lot of struggle that I've started claiming that... Mm, marginality to some extent i don't know if i'm making sense but mm-hmm. um so where is this attack like what is this about is it about nazaria specifically or is it about you the person it's about me nazaria i don't know i feel like whenever i have tried to talk about uh, see just like women when they are authoritative or when they try and say that things need to be done is done a certain way men colleagues uh, always um, say, you know, like you are being authoritative. You are not. Um, we have seen that in 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 workplaces. Similarly, I think when a marginalized person tries to be authoritative, you are always shown the place mm-hmm. that uh, listen. Uh, you are trying to be authoritative. You know, I don't know how to articulate it, but I always felt I have to prove something. If I if I don't prove, I am a good activist or I'm a good leader I have failed and this burden of proving is so much in me that I always feel guilty if I fail in something like if I'm unable to support someone so I'm always caring and supporting people so sometimes when I fail for instance sometimes when I have failed um when I say no, then they say, oh, you are privileged. Uh, for instance, a friend of mine asked me to be part of something. And I said, I can't be part of it right now. And I'm not in a mental state to be part of it. I have bipolar disorder also. And sometimes the mania and the depression really takes my uh, life. So I was not part of it. And then they so immediately said, you're so privileged. You don't want to be part of my my event and things like that. And so so i have to always say yes <laughs> just to just to show that yeah i don't know how to articulate it but but there's a lot of burden mm-hmm. and i don't think a savarna person will have so much burden to prove themselves you know raj joshi if i fail i'll have to go back to their village and i'll die in that village because there is no opportunity for me to even talk to anyone about who i am Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always this fear of failing. There's always this fear of not being able to do anything with my life. So I think that's the that's the whole guilt coming from. Should I should I take up spaces? Should I not take up spaces? And I think in Nazaria also you will see how many people have gone and spoken in panels despite other organizations. There are newer people who are coming mm-hmm. up speaking in panels. I hardly go to panels now because because I'm trying to build that space which I maybe did not get 
but uh, despite that i feel like a simple failure makes me feel as if i have failed every in everything mm-hmm. i have not been able to accept the fact that failures are okay yeah and i think failures are okay like and people are meant to fail i mean if not people who else would fail like and it's one thing to fail someone like you know who you really care for but it's another thing to let's say not be there for someone who expects you to be there but maybe it's the relationship is not the same or uh, you know because we cannot be there everywhere all the time and the fatigue takes over often yes. and it's yes. important to step back to sort of you know understand what are your limitations and accordingly do the work that one can still do and i was actually curious to know do you uh, as someone who started nazaria did you collaborate or are you collaborating with any other uh, groups or organizations indigenous or a queer or you know feminist organizations yeah we we work on collaborations actually and um, so for example organizations like tarshi Mm-hmm. I really like working with Tarshi. I think it's it's a very 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 compassionate organization. Um so I enjoy working with Tarshi on and so Nazaria is working on some stress management and burnout prevention for activists with Tarshi. We have also collaborated with my Olio organization Nirantar. We have collaborated um bigger organizations smaller organizations now we are part of this um shelter home network called lcn um mm-hmm. which is a shelter home not- network of feminist groups and nazaria is part of it we are also part of various domestic violence groups so our our thing was not to be part of just lgbt groups but mm-hmm. to be part of to make queer perspective visible uh in non lgbt groups as well so why should the burden of uh, working on cases why should the burden of talking about queer lives be on queer people themselves so and so so the burden should be shifted to other privileged groups which are bigger and this is the perspective behind nazaria and we have been part of various networks and collectives and working together for example this lcn that i'm talking about the shelter home network so recently because of nazaria's insistence we have been able to build a queer perspective into the training module as well and mm-hmm. um so we conducted um, nazaria conducted a two day long um training programs with very big organizations like northeast network or um jagori and mm-hmm. action india and things like vimochana in bangalore and all all these organizations only because we we feel like gender sexuality perspective is very very important in all the work that you do so collaborations definitely um we've also been working with um, we've also invited activists from northeast and and the insistence on having activists from the northeast also comes from me saying that we need people from the northeast um that 
we need to be represent we need to represent mm-hmm. northeast um, in meetings in larger meetings so for example in tashi uh, the stress and burnout prevention we specifically organized a meeting in the northeast for northeast groups mm-hmm. without having them to come here we went there and organized the meeting there mm-hmm. and not to see northeast as one one region but as different diverse yeah. regions so so i've been able to do that in various places mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and is there anything specific in assam that you're thinking of like right now right now my father wants me to come and work oh. in assam <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you want to <laughs> it it'll be difficult for me to work there see mm-hmm. recently there was a case um, in my home district where i talked to my father about it and and i con- contacted the women's organization northeast network and then put put northeast network in touch with the girls and they were rescued and they got a good judgment from my home district um so every time there is something in assam i try and be there for people and talk to them but i know there are many other groups in assam who can take care of that in spite of me doing it from the center um but as much as i can i try and support groups and um yeah, yeah be there whenever there is a requirement mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. now that see this is where the privilege comes to them no now that i am in the in the in the mainland i in in india i i don't think i'd be i am that fit to go and work in the northeast or assam um i had the privilege of working in delhi and in the mainland mm-hmm. so would i be a perfect fit to work in assam i don't know you think you have become like an outsider like someone who won't like fit in anymore or should i should i talk about it's more more than fitting in it's also my privilege no oh yeah um, that's true yeah yeah, yeah. Pri- privilege of having been interacting with so many people here and support of so many people here so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if i'll be i should go there and start working saying that oh i know all yeah yeah you know yeah i know there are people who are working like i interviewed uh pavel and later davidson who co-founded the chinky homo project so we had a good conversation uh about the connections between like metropolitan cities uh and the work that they are trying to do specifically in manipur and i think specifically in in certain parts only where they are from uh so it's an, it's exciting work and it's more mm-hmm. of an anthology so it's again storytelling okay. yeah um and i was also curious because you mentioned uh indigeneity which is not something that is discussed a lot mm-hmm. in queer politics in india also mm-hmm. race for instance is not mm-hmm. discussed a lot mm-hmm. so are these topics coming up now or do you think there is still like you know more work of course there is more work need that needs to be done but are these conversations starting to happen because of you because of 
uh, people like Pavel Davidson and other people who are discussing race and indigeneity in different contexts? Very little, very little. So I remember once, uh, once um, I was writing something and then a trans activist questioned me saying that on Facebook openly, saying that um, um, Aaron Boras and, and they were from mainland, okay, they were from, main, they were from mainland upper caste. And they said Aaron Boras um, uh, general caste. I said, Boras are also Muslim. <laughs> so how do you know? Uh, then, then they also had, then after writing to writing, giving my reply, I said, what would you know about um, surnames in Assam, right? Boraza also Muslims. So Boraza also Janikas, Boraza also Muslims. Boraza also uh, indigenous. Um, so I belong to the Kuch tribe. Um, Kuch. Uh, so Boraza also indigenous. So then they said, oh, oh, oh I don't think so. So what are you? <laughs> so I had to actually tell them that I belong to the coach community, which is an indigenous community in Assam. And, and then they did not say anything, but did not even apologize to me for asking wow. my caste. Um, and no one, no one wrote anything. And I would not think that anyone would ask that same question to a, a, a lower caste person. But they could only do that because it's a question of race and indigeneity. Mm. Um, and People do not know much about Northeast, right? So uh, just with my surname, you cannot make out what my identity is or where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's true of so many surnames uh, in Northeast and Bengal where where people share, like both people from upper caste and Dalit backgrounds have uh, the same surname. So it becomes very difficult for mainlanders where surnames are often very decisive like yes. you know from yeah. the surname who what mm. caste you are like i'm upper caste but mm. my surname is das, das uh, yeah. and a lot of people from obc communities are also das a lot of people from SC communities, communities are yeah, also das so mm. and and that's why people also ask me uh, but in my case it's completely different because you know i have a lot of privilege uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it doesn't sort of affect me the same way that it would affect someone who is indigenous, someone who is actually a Dalit person. Um, and uh, but yeah, I wrote and wrote a piece about what you shouldn't assume about indigenous people, yeah. um, and I shared it. So, and I'm, I was glad that uh, you know Nishant, um, they're very close friend of mine. They finally shared it and none of them were sharing. None of the people shared that post. And I put, I, I actually pointed very important things about what you should do to make indigenous people inclusive, you know, feel included in various movements. And I think it was Nishant who shared it first and then um, some other people shared it. But other than that, I don't see anyone mm -hmm. sharing and talking about the piece uh, that mm -hmm. I wrote. Uh, so it's not about that I wrote the piece and people should share mm -hmm. it, but I don't see discussions on race a lot. Santa mm -hmm. talks about race a lot, um, yeah. how mainlanders are, because she tries to use the word Nupi Mambi and she used Nupi Mambi and 
she's constantly called trans woman trans woman which she doesn't yeah. like she says snoopy mandi and that should be respected and um i think i think these are some of the things that people do not understand about um so so, so i i come from a community where um, live in relationships are very common you know mm-hmm. people just elope and get married and and later on when they have money they will get married if they want to they get married all of my cousins have got married like that and people in my village got get gets married like that like they start they live live with someone and they then then they are accepted by the community and even my own cousin got married when he was 50 when he is 58 years old or 50 yeah when his own son <laughs> eloped with a woman then only they decided to get married so all these things are very different than how the mainlanders see see things no yeah. morality on sexuality but no one asked me those questions ki how's the community back then it's it's only when my partner went there and stayed with me for two months they came and told back people here that and i really respect her for that that she said that if she were the, she were me she would not have been able to come um, mm. to delhi to study and fit in yeah and you too actually uh, gave an interview to sandeep prayer um i think a month back or so oh, yeah 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 it was like it was really nice to uh, hear both of you speak and you know that's my perhaps the last part of my question that uh, ever since the decriminalization of homosexuality or rather the reading down of section 377 there's a lot of talk about legalizing gay marriage and um, a lot of films that have come up mm-hmm. celebrating uh, lesbian relationships and gay relationships and more gay relationships than lesbian relationships as it often happens with bollywood uh, in terms of like the gender imbalance uh so i wanted to know what is your take on love and companionship and because in this case i see a lot of parallel between the so called personal and the so called political it yeah. is it's always coming together uh so i wanted to see what do you what is your take on on gay marriage but overall what is your take on companionship as well see when i saw ek ladki ko dekha to i was i was quite touched because but what i what it lacked was the sexualness yeah. of lesbian relationship mm-hmm. but when that aishman wala film came it was a lot more sexual mm-hmm. um that aishman and jitender wala film came i forgot the name it was very sexual um you know kissing and things like that yeah. so so lesbian relationships are always not seen as sexual it was more it's more like honor of the family and blah 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 which is still um which is a reality uh, but still we are also sexual beings sometimes some some people are also mm-hmm. sexual beings um but uh, in terms of same sex same gender or um, you know gay marriages as they call it if you had asked me this question few years back i would have said i i i resist marriage mm-hmm. i still hate marriage the concept of marriage but i feel like he and and therefore both amrita and i decided to open a joint account and if we we could do it also without getting married i think i think we should all get privileges as friends as companions as lovers without having to get registered in 
some some uh, state institution this mm-hmm. is my firm belief but my also the other thing about companionship is that um i don't see this collective collective friendship happening in various cases it's only the lover who has taken care of me it's not only their their friends who are taking care of me now like i have a very close friend he's a gay man and he 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 takes care of me when i'm very very sick um there there are other friends who are taking care of me jaya definitely takes care of me um but but that romantic companion is so important in my life right now as someone who is who needs caregiving regularly um and that support regularly um and that love makes me feel as if i am not um i'm not not wanted mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know if i've i've always felt i'm not wanted and i think with this kind of love that i received from amrita i always feel like okay i am also wanted and desired and and to if at all we have to get the privileges mm-hmm. uh, as uh, an as a married person if at all the bill gets passed i will get married to her and i'm saying it openly i'll get married to her because i want those privileges because i want her to be with me when i when i am in the icu or when i'm in the hospital and she does not have to explain to people all the time who is she to me um she will have a stamp where she will easily she can easily take care of me or i can easily take care of her um i think this is something i have strongly felt when i started falling ill day by day and my body is um, giving up so yeah i and also many feminists for have been getting married no feminism ka to shuru hi it's marriage like yeah. like the patriarchy ka shuru hi is also marriage no like that's how patriarchy starts and despite challenging patriarchy so many feminists are getting married and why yeah. not Yeah I mean it's true for the US as well like for instance I mean one of the biggest critic of gay marriage was Lee, is Lee Edelman um mm. and Lee Edelman is happily married I mm. mean there are I think there are of course huge exceptions like bell hooks and mm-hmm. one needs to respect her for that but yeah mostly everybody who is doing queer theory are married mm-hmm. it's uh, often a lesbian marriage or a, you know heterosexual marriage or bisexual marriages So yeah although i mean i i think only one or one state maybe in the us has a legal like sort of polyamorous marriage situation yes uh, yes if yes, i'm not mistaken yes, yes, but yes. otherwise it's mostly monogamy which is uh, which is sort of the status quo and that is i think what we are also doing but but of course in this case religion is a huge factor i saw there were a lot of petitions which came under hindu marriage Yes, uh, yes act so i'm just i'm also curious and this is a very personal question so you may not answer it if you don't wish to i'm assuming this would be an intercaste interracial marriage so mm-hmm. uh, ideally would it be special uh, marriage act for you or would it be under hindu marriage act definitely not hindu marriage act <laughs> okay <laughs> if if it comes if we if we can decide to get my see we will do some commitment ceremony for sure mm-hmm. uh, this is something that we want to do despite legalization despite 
legal not legalization i want to celebrate this relationship which i have which which i got after a long time like this kind of understanding i've not received as of yet mm-hmm. with with her uh, so i will definitely celebrate the relationship despite legalization despite not legalization and no no hindu marriage um mm-hmm. that i'm very clear of mm-hmm. and in india of course intercaste interreligious marriages are still kind of looked down upon and people <laughs> get killed all the time uh you yes. know so it's a completely different story you know it's not enough to say i'm against marriage you have to add yes. a lot to it yeah so we also work with this organization called dhanak i mm-hmm. think you know about dhanak that mm-hmm. interfaith intercaste this thing uh organization interfaith and intercaste organization and i've learned a lot from this organization that yes you are against marriage but so many people are getting killed and they run away from homes to just to get married so yeah matlab it is very much a necessity and with marriage sometimes they get saved also <laughs> yeah. because yeah so and um, yeah and in your case like you were saying there's a connection between romantic love and care care work um and of course your friends are also part of that network and i'm so sorry that you couldn't get that care in activist spaces or maybe you got it in certain activist spaces like nirantar or you know where you worked uh but not in let's say out other activist spaces and i'm actually very fascinated with what you said earlier about a political spaces being more inviting because it kind of reminds me of how political correctness often doesn't translate into caregiving yeah yeah um any last comments that you have on the delhi uh, scenario and what do you think needs to happen anything i don't know what needs to happen i think more forgiveness more care more empathy should come in mm-hmm. i feel there is a lack of empathy there is a lack of forgiveness there is a lack of care there is a lack of um long back i read this thing called ethics of care and mm-hmm. um so for me care justice is very very important and as as someone who grew up in a collective uh, where where my parents were not burdened with child rearing it was the collective who took care of child rearing um i think i think i grew up in that space um so to I have not seen that space of empathy of caregiving of support and also the 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 gay guy i was talking about who is also a very good friend is also indigenous mm-hmm. <laughs> is also tribal <laughs> so we both sometimes talk about how our collectives work um and not delhi collectives are so alienating so i i want to see more empathy more caregiving in delhi rather than being politically woke all the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah and thank you so much and uh, recently i'm also reading a lot more on care work and caregiving uh, authors like leela lakshmi and then i think munio has some works on mm-hmm. care as well so yeah it's been refreshing to learn more about caregiving because i think earlier also i used to be more critical mm-hmm. uh but i've realized that that is only meant for some people you know 
I can take a step back and reflect also and when necessary apologize or or have a conversation because I think that's what is needed to be you know conversations and that's also the whole point of having the podcast really um thank you so much and thank you so much for having me yeah and take care i wish you good health and great romantic life <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you and i hope to see you next time when you're in delhi yeah yeah sure bye 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 bye